Hello and welcome to the JNM podcast. This is a podcast where we talk about movies, TV shows, and anything in between. If you're listening for the first time, welcome. And if you're coming back, welcome back. Hope you're doing well. Uh, before I get to any details, I would like to welcome back my guest, Colleen Bradley. Hello, it's good to be back. <laughs> <laughs> so today we are going to continue with our sci-fi fantasy series Ooh. with the 1994 science fiction adventure film, Stargate. Yes. Dun, dun, <laughs> dun, 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 dun. I'm so excited. <laughs> well, it's it's kind of funny because the last time that we uh, did an episode, it was a movie that you didn't see, but I saw. Mm-hmm. And then now it's like the other way around where I didn't, I have never seen this film prior to this recording. Yeah. But you have. Like, yes. You have you really seen any it. Stargate materials at all? No. I've only seen, I only know the fact at the time that James... Bader was in it and mm-hmm. I was like huh that's kind of weird because he doesn't do a lot of sci-fi <laughs> yeah I will say this movie I love Stargate but I love this movie only because it later was spun off into Stargate SG-1 Stargate Atlantis and Stargate Universe because Stargate SG-1 is my favorite show of all time so like those characters are from this movie played by different actors and uh, watching this movie, I was like, whoa, there's so many things I don't remember about this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because, like, I remember, like, researching it mm-hmm. when they did the spinoffs for the TV shows. Yeah. Uh, That's what we, I was doing when you texted me and were like, hey, do you want to get on and start recording? I was just lying in bed listening to the television theme song. And because I was like, when I was hearing the theme song in the movie, I was like, oh, this sounds like the same but different and i was like i need to go back to the source and just like listen (laughs) listen to the original to me the original theme song which is actually the spinoff but yeah 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 like it's interesting because like there are some there are a lot of characters that are in the movie and also in the Mm -hmm. tv show but then they're spelled differently like o'neill (laughs) <laughs> they even make a joke in the TV show. In in the TV show, he goes like O'Neill with two L's, and then he introduces himself. <laughs> That's so. But he's funny. supposed to be playing the same character. It's I don't, I I don't understand it. <laughs> the movie is directed by Roland Emmerich and is written by both Emmerich and Dean Delvin or. Yeah, Devlin. Sorry, Devlin. Yeah, Devlin, not Devil or <laughs> Dean Devil. Uh, so the logline is in modern day Egypt, an archaeologist teams up with the Air Force Special Operations to unlock the code of an interstellar gateway known as Stargate to an ancient Egyptian like world. Uh, once they arrive, the team discovers the plant is ruled by a dystopic Ra who holds the key to the team's safe return. Now, in order to escape from the intergalactic purgatory, the team must convince the planet's people that Ra must be overthrown. (laughs) Man, this is one of the things that I had forgot about was Ra. Like, I knew he was in it because they, like, mentioned him in the series. Like, I've seen Mm -hmm. the movie. But they were like, you know, like, they'll later refer to things that were in the movie. Like, they'll talk about the sarcophagus thingy that brings you back to life. And they'll talk about, like, oh, that happened when we met Ra kind of thing. Yeah. But I forgot that Ra was, like, 
a skinny dude in like a bustier who has like a weird thing for kids oh yes (laughs) yeah that's what Mero like mentioned when i was watching it again last night he was like isn't that kind of weird that he just has like like, a bunch of boys a bunch of like small children with bad haircuts yeah yeah it's deeply upsetting (laughs) i received information from wikipedia imdb screen rats and 80s kids is like a website about the 80s even though this came out in 1994 okay yep the cast has james spader Mm -hmm. as dr daniel jackson probably like peak hotness like, it's I weird because say. he plays like a, an uber nerd like he's always like tripping over I things. know the the number of like weird pratfalls where it's just like oh james spader he just he sneezes too much it's like what is that as a character trait but yeah I'm like he's like peak hotness and the, the like weird bowl cuts kind of working for him somehow <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah it gave me like very like 1960s like beetle era yeah like beetle cast off yeah <laughs> he didn't make the band so he became like a very intense Egyptologist. Yeah, he was like the sixth beetle because there was already a fifth or fourth. Yeah, fifth beetle. Yeah. <laughs> There's at least four. We know that much. <laughs> so you may know him from Pretty in Pink, Lesson Zero, The Practice, which is a TV show, Boston Legal, which is a spin off of The Practice, The Blacklist, which is another TV show, and Avengers Age of Ultron. He played Ultron. Basically. Oh, he did. Yeah. For some reason I didn't recognize that. Well, I mean, like he, he was CG. Obviously, he, obviously. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, man, James Spader's looking real different these days. I think he's had some. He work looks done. very tall. <laughs> he's so silver. Next, we have Kurt Russell as Colonel Jonathan Jack O'Neill. Did you, you love mean? how at the beginning, when he's like all sad, he has like <laughs> sad hot man hair, where he's got like long waves and then when he has to like shape up and be the colonel they like give him like a straight buzz cut (laughs) oh my god i have like a joke about the buzz cut hair because oh my god it it literally looks like he just went to like a landscaper it's like straight it's so straight yeah take a wig whacker and then just (laughs) i don't know if i've ever seen a like a, a a white man with like regular white man textured hair with such an intense flat top. Like, how was that yeah. achieved? What is Kurt Russell's hair like? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because, like, I mean, maybe they tried to get it off of, like, G.I. Joe. Mm-hmm. But, I don't know. It's, like, at least that one was, like, a little bit faded. You know, like, at yeah. least, like, morphs with the head of the it character. It just kind of, like, goes straight up, and then it's just, like, flat across the top. It's so, and it's, I don't, it's very interesting. I assume they did it because they're like, he's supposed to look intense. He's, like, the bad guy, but he's a good guy at heart, but he's just broken inside, but it's just like, whoa, dude, how much gel is in your hair? <laughs> how much cocaine did you really do? <laughs> uh, um, so you may know him from The Thing, and when I meant The Thing, I meant the 1980s not the one from um, the 40s <laughs> yeah not the one from the 40s and not the one from what like the early or late 2000s or was it like 20 i've actually never seen any version of the thing so oh sadly well that that may be the next oh yeah project. maybe <laughs> big trouble in little china tombstone a great western film death proof the hateful eight 
and Fast and Furious franchise. Apparently, he started on the seventh installment oh. and onward. Okay. Yeah. I don't know who he plays. <laughs> Neither do I. All I know about the seventh one is that's the one where Paul Walker died and they have a song. Yes. And then there, and then I think that was when Vin Diesel was like, we, we got to stay together due to family. <laughs> it's all about family. It's all about family. We're family. <laughs> We're family. Next, we have Jay Davison as Ra. You may know him from The Crying Game and Catwalk. And fun fact, this was Davidson's final role before retiring from acting. At a young <laughs> so age. That, How yes. old was he in this? Like 19? Uh, no, I think he was like, was like 20s, okay. early 30s. Man, he looks so good. I don't good. think he was that young. Damn, what is that? Like, that's some good skin care. Okay, he was born in 1968, so I think he was, like, uh, 26. Okay, yeah. Because the other characters, they kind of were in, but then not too much, uh, I just kind of listed the actors and then who they played. Yeah. Next, we have Vivica Lindforce as Dr. Catherine Langford. Then we have Alexis Cruz as Scara. I recognized Alexis Cruz because Scara appears with the same actor in SG-1. Oh. Like one of the very few carryovers. Oh, okay. Yeah. Millie Avital as, they said Sherry, right? It's like Share. Okay, Share. Uh, next, Leon Rippey as Major General W.O. West. Wow. <laughs> I don't remember which one he was. I have, that's why I'm saying, like, I mean, like. I only recognize Kowalski and the other guy. Yes, the other guy that was, like, the comic relief in the world. Yeah, the, the, like. <laughs> uh, John Deal as Lieutenant Colonel Charles Kowalski. Mm -hmm. uh, Carlos Lauchu as Anubis. I think he was, like, the Hispanic guy that was, like, one of the... Oh, the, the one with guards. the good eyeliner? Mm-hmm. Okay, mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah, probably. Uh, Jai Moon Hunsun as Horus. Which is crazy, because that dude's super famous, isn't he? Yeah, this was his first film, and actually his first breakthrough film, even though uh, I think there was, like, another film that he did with uh steven spielberg that spielberg argues that he was the one that found oh he's trying to take responsible was, for that Mm-hmm. but it was actually stargate bitch <laughs> <laughs> next we have eric avari as Kasu. <laughs> sorry when you're trying Wait. to google this guy's name because i can't spell it either it says dijon houston actor <laughs> like... yeah. well that's the thing like it's it looks like that, but it's actually pronounced uh Jaimon Hunsun. Yeah, no, I'm sure it's uh, not pronounced Dijon. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> the guy who plays Kosuf, you may know him from the mummy, I think it was the first one. He plays the guy with the uh Turkish hat. Oh, the like um, leader guy. Yeah, the leader guy. Then you have French Stewart as Lieutenant Louis Ferretti, and he he's the comic relief guy. Yes. And he also plays in a little show called Third Rock from the Sun. <laughs> that was so weird because I like didn't remember that that guy was in it because I've seen this movie like one time before because I really just watched it so I could figure out what was going on at Stargate. And I was like, is that the Third Rock from the Sun guy? <laughs> like, <laughs> same thing when I saw 
what'd you say his name? Jamin Haosu or oh, something? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, as soon as he, like, his little, like, mask thingy he goes, and goes back yeah. by his head. I was like, what? that is famous. <laughs> what is yeah, he doing he in was, this? Yeah, he was, like, in, um, he was in the Charlie's Angels 2019 mm-hmm. uh, rip. Uh, and then <laughs> <laughs> uh, he was also in Blood Diamond. I think he got nominated for an Oscar for that role. Damn. Um, yeah. Pretty, pretty, pretty good. Ray Allen as Dr. Barbara Shore. So she is the doctor that was talking to James Spader's character in the beginning. Oh, yeah. There's, like, the German lady, Catherine yes. Langford, which... No, no, no. The other one. The one with, like, the turtleneck. Yeah, yeah, But Catherine Langford introduces him to, like, the two nerdy guys, right? Yeah. There's, mm-hmm. like, the lady and the dude. Mm-hmm. Gotcha. And then Richard Kind is the other doctor. Mm-hmm. As Dr. Gary Myers. And it was kind of weird because when you see him in the movie, I don't know if it was, like, the version that I got or what but he, his face looked very cgi oh you know it looked it looked kind of like you know um kind of like that technique where they have like the they kind of de-age oh. an actor it i seriously doubt like they that. had that technology in 2000 in 1994 yeah. <laughs> i mean who knows maybe like i the feel like it's the that... version you watch maybe somebody was like yeah. out there trying to facetune random characters in, in 90s <laughs> sci-fi movies the, I watched this movie extremely legally on a YouTube site that oh yes had a YouTube so account. did I. <laughs> <laughs> it was uploaded I, in surprisingly decent quality. I was shocked. And I the know. voices weren't sped up or anything. Good. Mm-hmm. No one's out there checking. I mean, until now. Was, and there were subtitles. <laughs> yes. At first, I was like, I couldn't remember how much of it was going to be in, like, fake ancient Egyptian. And I was like, oh, no, is this whole thing in subtitles? Because I was like, <laughs> maybe this is, I don't recognize a lot of languages. And I was like, maybe this is, like, isn't ancient Egyptian. Maybe this is, like, yeah. you know, Swahili or something. And I'm just too stupid mm-hmm. to know the difference. And, like, this is, like, the Swahili DVD was uploaded or something. You know, like, it, but it turns <laughs> out, no, that's just the film. <laughs> Yeah, that was just a film. For the backstory, Dean Devlin agreed to write the script because he always wanted to do a Lawrence of the Arabia in space, which I could kind of get. I could kind of get the feeling mm-hmm. of it a bit. The, like, really uh, intense sand dune. There's mm-hmm. just a lot of, like, walking across <laughs> the sand. <laughs> yes, and then also, like, kind of, like, a group or maybe just, like, one or two people trying to create like a rebellion Mm -hmm. and you know helping other people who are in need dean devlin and roland emmerich admitted that they were a bit nervous about hiring the composer david arnold so at the time arnold was working at a record store clerk um, in england Mm -hmm. and had little experience creating scores but it was either for short films and i think he did one uh feature film but probably wasn't as big as like an actual like studio film yeah well they made the right choice because that is a great absolutely (laughs) fantastic theme gets you so pumped and it's even better when they spun it off into the TV series. I just love it. It's, it's so good. It really gets you going. 
Especially when the flutes come in. It's just, I love the theme. <laughs> However, their doubts were disappeared when they heard um, Arnold's score. And funny enough, this would lead him to work with Roland Emmerich um, for Independence Day and Godzilla, with many of his works uh, being reused in trailers, TV spots, and programs later on. Mm. Hopefully he's no longer working that side gig as a, as a I, I, record store. Yeah, I don't, that would be kind of awkward. <laughs> You're like, did you, did you score uh, Stargate? Also, is this, is this the half-off rack? <laughs> okay. Do I get a discount now that I mentioned that you are <laughs> a composer? The Stargate system uh, is designed to open a wormhole. So the wormhole is known as the Einstein Rosin, and it's named after Nathan Rosin and Albert Einstein. Mm -hmm. And according to them, the wormhole should be capable of uniting two distant points in the universe, alterating space-time laws to cross from one point to another in a brief period of time. Uh, The same concept is used in contact. And Stargate Deep Space Nine. So it must be Star Trek. Oh, sorry. Yes, yeah, Star Trek. <laughs> it was like Stargate also on a Deep Space Nine? No, no, I meant Star Trek. Sorry, I think because like there's, yeah, so, there's so many stars. <laughs> the film producers were advised by the United States Air Force in order to make the film events as realistic and accurate as possible, which I thought which was kind of interesting. Yes. However, they were forbidden <laughs> to include any references about Area 51. Which is so funny. Yeah. <laughs> Especially Even since though it's not really, I mean, like, they say it, and, like, in the TV show, also, there most of them are Air Force people. There's, like, different teams. Like, Stargate SG-1 is the Air Force team, but there's, like, other teams that are, like, the Marines and stuff. But it's like, why are they the Air Force there's no flying involved. They're just walking through a tunnel. Well, I mean, I think it's because, like, one of the requirements to work at, for NASA is to have, like, a degree in, like, to serve in the Air Force. Mm-hmm. I think, because I know that a lot of the astronauts that go into space, like, they have experience serving yeah. the Air Force. But I don't know if that changed since they now have Space Force. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, this would be the Space Force because it's like exactly. they're not going there to like look, you know, to look around and make friends. They're going there to like blow shit up. So that seems like Space Force's yeah. main objective. With their, with their copycat uh, outfits. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Just like all their technology look exactly the same as like a couple of like tv shows yep so rick moranis was offered to play the role of dr daniel jackson that would have been such a weird choice (laughs) yeah (laughs) yeah because i think it was a little bit older i think he was like just very like honey i shrunk the stargate like it's just just like a weird choice Uh, however, he turned down the role to work on Little Giants and the Flintstones. Mm-hmm. So James Spader admitted that he only did the film for money, be- believing the script was awful. And in an interview, he quotes, Acting for me is a passion, but is also a job. And I've always approached it as such. 
I have a certain manual laborious view of acting. There's no shame in taking a film because you need the fucking money. <laughs> <laughs> no, I could totally get that. Especially, like, there's certain parts of this movie that you're just like, okay, guys, like, let's not... Like, at the one point where they're talking about O'Neill, and they're like, oh, man, like, what's his backstory? He seems messed up. And oh, God. Like, oh, his son killed himself on accident. And it's like, you couldn't think of any more, like, elegant way of getting that information across than just having two dudes be like, so, what's the backstory of the second in command or whatever? You know, like, <laughs> Yeah, and also, like, saying it out loud so much that, like, someone walking their dog could hear it. <laughs> like, <laughs> I know, and it's like, it's. I feel like they could have easily done You almost get there by the fact that he's, like, sad and in his son's room, and he's, like, got his gun. You're like, oh, maybe he's going to, like, commit suicide with a gun. And then you're like, oh, okay, later on when he, like, starts freaking out on Scara for having a gun, you're like, oh, gun violence. He's against it. He's in the military. This seems like a conflict of interest. But the fact that they have to be like, uh, the audience would like to know what's his damage. <laughs> it's like, so much. <laughs> yeah, I mean, there are moments like that where it's like, okay, like, you could just show and still yeah. tell, but, you know. I mean, maybe, I, I don't know about uh, Devlin's experience prior to this, uh, so who knows. Mm. And Jane Spader also noted that the original screenplay was awful enough to intrigue him, which is why he <laughs> decided to take on the role. <laughs> and then when he met Roland, uh, he was inspired by the director's passion that he decided to take on. And he also decided to work on the film because he felt the energy and craziness of making such a film, this type of film would translate into. I think it's mainly because it's like, it's bad script screenplay in terms of like writing mm -hmm. but just like the idea of space and like kind of explaining all the stuff that's happening i think that's what intrigued him and like there's good stuff in there you know like the ideas are good like the there's a reason they were able to make a 10 season show and then two more spin-offs yes because it's like oh what if they traveled through space but all we have to do is like cgi some water into a circle and we don't have yeah. to, like, come up with spaceships and stuff. And it's like, of course they made a TV series. It's so cheap. And it's so good. <laughs> yeah. And it's crazy. Most of the planets that aren't Abydos, which ends up being what they call this planet that they go to, mm -hmm. mostly all look like Canada. <laughs> <laughs> so Sir uh, John Gielgud... Uh, was on the possibility list for Raw. And for those of you who don't know who he is, he is the butler in the 1981 film Author, to which he received an Oscar for his role. And it was kind of like a surprising Oscar uh, because his role wasn't like that like inspiring, but I don't know. I think I was, like, a little too young to understand what was happening. <laughs> it seems like they went in a real different direction for Ra, then. I know, This was the other choice. Yes, because he is a white old guy. Yeah, <laughs> instead of, like, a ethnically ambiguous, ambiguous, like... Sorry, there's something really loud just went past my window. Oh, no worries. <laughs> instead of a ethnically ambiguous, like, young hot guy. Yes. It's like, they were like, well, if we can't do this, we'll go in completely the other direction. <laughs> like, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Fuck uh, being, like, consistent with 
who uh, the aliens are taking over. Yeah. <laughs> how are they going to just? Sorry, how are they going to justify <laughs> this like sixty-year-old, blindingly white dude being from ancient Egypt? I have no idea. I know that like northern Africans have like lighter skin, but not like English yeah. person light skin. And and then also he like they would have to take him if he was like maybe in like 1920s instead of 8000 bc you know what i mean mm. like yeah because that have to yeah be like it once would... like europeans reached yeah northern europe <laughs> northern africa because they like do it yeah. in like it's like what 10,000 bc so it's like before yeah it was like 8000 bc yeah it's like before most like civilization like real you know built up city type civilizations yeah it's everybody's like living in the desert and like 10,000 BC like I don't I'm really bad at my ancient history but like that's like back when there's like I don't know two people on earth <laughs> there's like 12 dudes hanging around on earth right <laughs> no that was like when I think it was like when they're either starting to build it, build the pyramids, or I think it was around that time that they were doing, you know, stuff. <laughs> I just Googled 10,000 BC, and it's also a 2008 film by Kasu, <laughs> Roland Emmerich. Oh my goodness! <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Jay Davison disliked the attention he received after the crying game causing him to be reluctant to take on the role of Ra. Mm -hmm. So he demanded $1 million uh, to play for this role, thinking that the producers were not going to accept the proposition. However, the producers accepted it. And and he was like, damn, damn now I guess I got to do it. <laughs> yeah, so he was like, oh, okay, I guess I'll do it. <laughs> And during the shooting, he struggled to remember his lines, to which production had to provide cue cards. Which, you know, which, I get to be it. fair, his lines are all in like a weird fake version of ancient Egyptian. So, yeah. That would be, it's a lot harder to remember that than like English. <laughs> yeah. I mean, like, there are a lot of actors who do cue cards. Like, I mean, Marlon Brando did that. That's I mean, but that, he's kind of like an infamous example where he's like Marlon Brando just like refuses <laughs> refused to learn his lines. <laughs> hey, at least at least it's not as bad as Steven Seagal that refused to do rehearsals and then just walks out of a yacht and then just <laughs> collapsed, <laughs> went to the wrong door and then just falls into the ocean. <laughs> wow. What is that from? I've never heard that story. Oh, um, so it was an interview that Tom Arnold did when he was talking about uh, Steven Seagal mm. and he talked about working with him and I guess it was like a film I think it was a film with DMX and Tom Arnold was in a scene with him and I guess the director wanted to do blocking mm -hmm. to do rehearsals before they shoot and then Steven was like oh I don't need to do that I know why I need I know where to go and I was like oh okay and so they shot the scene and instead of going to the door that he was supposed to go he actually went to a different door and that door uh, led 
basically to the ocean because they were kind of like on like a river boat. It was like those boat houses. Mm-hmm. So, so you just like open the door and it just falls into the ocean. Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, man, that's that's so dumb. <laughs> yep. So, I mean, like, I, I get it with Jay Davison. Like, it, it was hard, so he's not a diva. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, Jay also despised the costumes that he wore so much that on the last day of shooting his scenes and he was wrapped for the project, he basically just stripped naked on set without going to his trailer. I mean, that does sound like diva behavior. <laughs> yeah, I mean, okay, maybe he's, like, in the middle, you know? <laughs> <laughs> like, the outfit wasn't even that bad. He was just wearing, like, a weird little bustier and, like, a weird hat thing. Yeah, I mean, I do have an explanation as to why there's a bustier issue. Yeah. Uh, for the wardrobe and the cinematography... They had to work around Davidson's uh, nipple rings because he refused to remove them. Couldn't they just be like ancient Egyptians who were also aliens had like sick nipple rings? I I have no idea. I mean, I I don't know if they were trying to be accurate, which I I don't know. I mean, I (laughs) could ask. (laughs) Excuse me, uh, Roland, what's up? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, And he all argued that he just got them done and removing them would close the holes up basically Mm. so that's why he has a bustier for the majority of the film after the film jay retired from acting claiming that he hated fame he received and yeah that was that was it (laughs) what did he go on to do after that does he become like a dentist or something i think like the last time someone checked on him uh Uh, he... Well, you gotta go check in on this guy every so often. <laughs> no, but, like, I mean, in terms of, like, reporting. Like, yeah, people yeah. who would go and interview him. Uh, I think the last time they talked to him was, like, a few years ago. And I think he was, like, a fashion stylist. Gotcha. So he's, he's doing other things. Yeah, he's doing other things. It's not things. like he retired from acting in a huff and then, like, started working at Ralph's or something. <laughs> no. <laughs> this is... French Stewart's uh, film debut and funny enough two years later he will start in a little show called Third Rock from the Sun. He is also the only actor to appear both in Stargate and Stargate Universe and he also played two different characters so in this film he played the uh, military personnel but then in Stargate Universe Alliances, he played Dr. Andrew Covell or Coville. Didn't remember that person. Yeah, I don't I don't remember. <laughs> <laughs> I don't even know that person. Uh, Richard Kine is the only actor to appear both in Stargate and Stargate Atlantis. And in the film, the planet the team visited is never actually referred to by name. And it wasn't until the TV spinoff, Stargate SG-1, uh, (laughs) that it was revealed that the planet's name was Abydos. Abydos, yep. Abydos. Which is, I think, like an ancient city in Egypt. I don't know. I went to the the Met recently, and they had a bunch of stuff that, like, was referencing Abydos. And I was like, oh, okay, that's a real place. (laughs) (laughs) 
Uh, also, the movie notes that the planet is located in the Kilium galaxy, but it was changed to be within the Milky Way uh, for the TV show. Mm-hmm. The city was a miniature sculpt- uh, structure for white shots placed on a dune, and each building was like uh, four feet tall. Oh, okay. That's cute. The pyramids and headdress sculptures were fabricated in an industrial complex in North Hollywood on Lincolnshire Boulevard. I used to work on Lincolnshire Boulevard. I am familiar. Oh. Yep. I yeah. hated that job. Shout out to Shirley. You were a bitch. <laughs> oh. The horse-like creatures on the planet were actually Clydesdale horses with external costumes draped over them. This actually made me realize how few times in this show there are animals. Like, there's 10 seasons of Stargate SG-1, and I don't really remember seeing animals almost ever. You know, like, occasionally there's, like, actual horses and, like, actual mm-hmm. dogs, but... Yeah. Really, they only come across, like, people on other planets. And sometimes there's, like, a loose definition of people. Like, sometimes those people are made of, like, crystals or whatever. But they're very rarely, like, <laughs> birds. <laughs> you know? Like, yeah. <laughs> that's, re- that's pretty funny. Like, do you think it's because of, like, the budget? I think it was just, like... yeah, the budget. They just couldn't afford, like, animal handlers and animal, you know, costumes yeah. and all the extra time that takes to film animals. Oh, yes, yes. And then, like, don't they have, like, a limited amount of hours? Like, they can't do, like, a full 12-hour day or something? Yeah, yeah, they have to do shorter stuff. And even if you do, like, smaller things, like, even if you do, like, scorpions, there's always, like, one person who's like, I was the scorpion handler. And you're like, what? (laughs) What does that entail? (laughs) And they're, like, right by, like, the, what's it called? I forgot the name. The, The place, the video house, right? Video house? Video... It's like the place where like the the director and the oh, video village. Yes, video village. It was really video house. (laughs) I I knew it was something. I was like video, (laughs) had video. (laughs) But but yeah, just like having them like stand with like their hands like in like their uh, libs of their belt. Oh yeah, being like, like, you mistreating that scorpion. (laughs) You're like scorpions deserve to be mistreated. I stand by that statement. (laughs) <laughs> oh, and also there were dogs that were used for smaller creatures, but I don't. I don't remember, remember seeing s- any smaller yeah. creatures. I mean, maybe the food, but it's like, wouldn't that just be a prop? Like, yeah, you wouldn't put a, a chihuahua in that. <laughs> like, <laughs> okay, just lay dead. <laughs> like, <laughs> to save money, many of the crowd scenes featured mannequins, as there were cheaper than extras. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Yeah, it was so funny because I, for, I think it was, like, the second time around, I was trying to look for them. I was like, where are they? Mm-hmm. <laughs> I think there were a couple on, like, some of the ladders, uh, but because of the wind, it made it seem like... Oh. Yeah. During the climax scene where Kasuf uh, charges towards the pyramids, the crew set up nine cameras to shoot the big scene. Mm-hmm. However... <laughs> The extras were instructed to just run towards the cameras. So because of that, everyone just went to different cameras <laughs> when, they, when they ran. So I think in the end of the shoot, like it was just Kasuf like alone, like basically. <laughs> I mean, that scene is pretty chaotic. Like the final cut is just sort of like 
explosion, explosion. You don't really know what's happening. Oh, what an explosion. Like, yeah. <laughs> it's pretty clear that they didn't manage to get, like, a real rallying cry sort of charge behind it. Yeah. <laughs> The scene was reset, and this time the extras were ordered to just follow Kasuf. So, and that was like the the sh- the shot that they use. The one where he's like coming over the side of the dune or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> uh, the early pre-release screenings were disastrous, making executive producers Mario Casar feel that the main problem was the plot made zero sense. And then they also, like, the audience also argues that they didn't think that Ra was an alien. Oh. <laughs> yeah, they thought he was a human. <laughs> I mean, he's... They don't do a very good job in the movie, I've realized. And, like, they changed the whole concept of, like, what Ra... What kind of alien Ra is for the TV show. Uh, yeah. To make it make sense, basically. But it's just, like, he's like, oh, yeah, I chose your species to, like become because you're easy to heal and like my species and like try to live forever it's like but how did he do that they don't ever talk about like yeah they don't explain how he got himself into a random like ancient north african teenager (laughs) he's just like yeah i'm an alien now and then at the end when he gets exploded spoilers you know they have like the thing where it goes like shoom 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 and they like oh yeah pull away the layers of his face and you can see the like weird little like roswell alien behind it and it's like is he inside of him i thought it was more of like a mind transfer (laughs) like i have no idea i don't know what that cgi or special effect was for like (laughs) i guess i don't prove that he was an alien and he was i don't know it's very strange yeah so they added the shot in the beginning um of where the like the alien takes over the boy Mm -hmm. uh in the beginning just to kind of give Ra's backstory a bit he also decided to have the Ra's character his dialogue subtitled because i guess they didn't subtitle it in the beginning they just had him just go like (laughs) yeah (laughs) that weird gravelly voice where every time someone's an alien in this and in the tv series they suddenly get a really deep voice it's really weird You could always tell if someone's being taken over by an alien because they'll be like, it's me, Scara. No, I'm a gold. And you're like, uh, okay. <laughs> uh, Raw's uh, glowing eye effects were also added in post-production uh, because, again, the test audience didn't think Raw was an alien. <laughs> and then they also alters uh, Raw's voice as like an afterthought during post-production and i think during shooting jay felt that his performance wasn't good enough and was like horrible and i guess like when he finally saw the final cut of the film he was glad that the team made the adjustments to his character because i i feel like if they didn't i think this would have been like a Razzie nominated film yeah he just doesn't he's not very imposing figure physically so you need something to make him like more scary yeah because he's very he is a because jay davison is a guy but he has like very soft features yeah he's got very feminine features Mm -hmm. and also like he doesn't raw doesn't do anything really in the film like yeah he walks around and like commands people but he's not stabbing people in the heart or anything like overtly like aggressive yeah because i think the closest to aggression is like 
like that electric he does the like that he does. yeah the like yeah vader electric hand or whatever <laughs> no that's like um oh what that guy with the cape i forgot it's like that guy with the cape that is like the actual controller of darth vader oh oh palpatine yes palpatine i thought you yes. were talking about like batman or something no <laughs> the guy with no. the cape i was like who <laughs> no the guy that is like do it oh yeah. do it <laughs> do it it's me uh, palpatine it. <laughs> just do it <laughs> i wish you spoke like that <laughs> um so for marketing the producers decided to create a website for the film which was set up by dean delvin himself and the site consisted of photos and several written promos for the film. And this made Stargate to become the very first film to have a website of its own. Remember when, like, movies had websites? I know. <laughs> and I was on. like, whoa. Man, I wish they, do they still have a copy of it somewhere in, like, the Wayback way, way Machine or anything. That would be so Oh, I don't know. I know that, um galaxy quest still has it but mm -hmm. maybe there's like a website that still has like the archive version of it or something yeah and then they also had hasbro release uh action figures of some of the characters and i think it was Ra, o'neill and i think scar scara and jackson i believe during the theatrical release in mexico the title was changed to La Puente del Tiempo, which means the gate of time. Not really the same thing as the Stargate, but okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, because of the name change, some moviegoers mistakenly thought the far away planet the squad goes to is just a very early time of Egypt, like even mm. before ancient Egypt is what they thought. And almost kind of like a time machine, yeah. rather than just them going from one point to another. Even though they spent the all that time talking about it, so if those people are asleep in the theater during that part, I have because they no literally idea. have that whole part where they've got that weird little like acrylic map, and they're like, "This is where we are." Zoop 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 zoop. This is where we're going, and he like does the whole thing where he like draws the six points to show where you're going in a cube. Where were they <laughs> for those twenty minutes of the film? <laughs> Well, I mean, like, for, for stuff like this, when, because I know, like, someone, I think it was, like, Vox or someone talked about it, mm -hmm. where um, when uh, an English word or, like, an English, like, product is translated to, like, a particular language, it sometimes gets lost in translation, because I think because stargate isn't an actual word in yeah. spanish that they're like okay like how do we say it's stargate but you know yeah not just say stargate you know um so i think because of that they had to translate it and maybe when they translated the um the english you know audio to spanish yeah i think I mean, it, it sounds like they didn't have a very good translator because I know that yeah. Spanish has a word for space. I don't know what it oh, is, yeah. but I guarantee they have one. So why didn't they yeah, say space door or something? <laughs> like, yeah, I'm pretty sure. That they... <laughs> <laughs> so as a result, uh, many of the viewers were a little confused at the timeline. And surprisingly, the film uh, experienced a lawsuit. So... Wow. 
a high school teacher named Omar Zudi claimed a 1995 copyright infringement lawsuit that virtually the entire film was stolen from a manuscript he began writing as a college student. Oh. So though Zudi never personally submitted his manuscript to Roland Nordin, he claimed he submitted it to 20th Century Fox, who rejected it in 1984, and five years later, uh, before Emmerich and Devlin ever met, the lawsuit alleges that Studio Canal acquired a copy of the manuscript and some years later hired Emmerich and Devlin to make Stargate using Zudi's ideas. Mm-hmm. So Zudi sued Emmerich, Devlin, the film's producers, Studio Canal, and MGM for $140 million. Whoa. I mean, the movie wasn't that popular. <laughs> Let's calm down, sir. It's like, take it take it back. Maybe he had, like, a lawyer does. Like, you know, we could, like, bump up a little bit. Maybe. Yeah, they're probably know. like, we'll surf for, like, 140 and you'll get, like, two. Basically. But in 1997, the case was still out of court for $50,000. Yeah. So, uh, he got <laughs> that was a- way less than he asked for. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's like, did they even color- cover his, like, lawyer fees that's crazy i doubt that i mean maybe ten thousand went to the lawyers so and then probably like the time it took mm-hmm. and everything all those billable hours it, <laughs> yeah i don't think it was worth them <laughs> so in 2013 zudi published a novel called egyptscape which is based on the manuscript he says he submitted to Fox. I- I'm not sure if it was good or not. Well, if the first time that James Spader read the book, read the script, it was absolutely dreadful, then probably whatever he submitted was not good. <laughs> like, it- <laughs> probably. When the film was released on VHS and TV showings, Emmerich was displeased um, with the pan and scan. So pan and scan is kind of a technique where instead of keeping the the screen at like a wide screen, mm-hmm. because if they do full screen, there may be some parts where you can't see what's happening. So the pan and scan is basically like the computer sees like, okay, there's a car right here. And this is like... Oh, it like frame. follows the important yeah, stuff it, happening? Like, fo- yeah. Mm-hmm. Gotcha. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. this is back in the days of like square computer, uh, square uh, televisions as well. Like yes. people didn't have mm-hmm. widescreens. Yeah, back when like TVs were actually heavy and can be used as a weapon. <laughs> yeah, and they were full of like weird gases. You weren't supposed to like break a television with a hammer or something. Oh yeah, and then you can like stand too close to it because there was like a chemical that would burn your eyes or something. Whoa, I don't know. I've never heard that one. <laughs> well, that was like okay, that was like when it first started like i think during our time oh, okay it, they didn't have that I was but like, it uh... was like <laughs> but you still like i don't know because it's been so long since I've, I've been near like a analog television but i used to be able to like you could hear when the tv was on like even yes. if you couldn't hear the audio because it had that like weird high-pitched staticky sound to it uh-huh <laughs> and then when it turns off is that <laughs> and then you could still hear it as it cools down mm-hmm 
You know, like, Gen Zers are missing a lot, okay? <laughs> You'll never know the true magic of the sound of a television turning off. <laughs> and the struggle to get it up the stairs. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Like, you, you didn't miss anything. Uh, so this caused him to refuse to shoot another film with anaphromorphic lenses until Stonewall, which was 20, 21 years later. Dang. It's a very long time. Yeah. Although critics hated the film due to its overuse of special effects, thinness of the plot, and excessive use of cliches, the film became an instant camp classic with people praising the special effects and the entertainment value, which I totally agree. <laughs> yeah. And, like, the cheesy special effects make it work as a TV show later on because then they're like... Oh, they didn't even have to dumb it down for the TV show. They just used the same no. special <laughs> effects. <laughs> it's like there there was no like high level of like quality in age. No, I, like at some point they just like they're like, what if we make his eyes like slightly wider than they should be? Like, oh yeah, <laughs> aliens. Emmerich had initially envisioned his film to be part of like a trilogy and I guess like the trilogy was uh, to have the first film kind of be like a type of film that explains what's the world what the world is and what is Stargate and I think the second film was for them to go back to Earth and then there's like a problem in there or something like that and I think the third one was like something that had to clash with different universes or something. I know that this is a point of contention for the people who wrote the movies versus the people who wrote the TV series because I don't think the yes. people who wrote the movies were like really consulted at all when they made the TV series. They were sort no. of like like rudely edged out. Yeah. Um which obviously it would upset me as well i love the tv series so much so i can't like argue that i wish they had done these three movies instead of that television series that i love uh yeah. but i know that they have always been trying to like do these tv series or whatever, or do this uh these movies instead and every time they say they're gonna like they always are like threatening to like reboot the stargate franchise and i'm like stop making movies make some movies you want to knock yourselves out but Let's get back to the nitty gritty and like, let's do some more TV series. I'm there for it. I want like, you know, 10 more seasons. Let's go. But they always like want to get back to like what they see as like the pure version of Stargate, which is like the idea that's in the movie where Ra is like some weird child molester who was like <laughs> yeah. the last of his species or something. Instead of being like one of many Egyptian god people who are actually like weird snakes that can take over your mind <laughs> oh wow <laughs> wait did it like turn into like a religious thing because that's very like yeah Catholic. so they are they always like the go old which is what they call the race of aliens in tv series yeah. that are like the snaky people they're like little snake things and they can go into your spine and like take over your mind and control your body but they also tend to pose as like gods so like it's mostly egyptian gods um and then like subjugate primitive human species like humans that they have like taken away from earth and stuck on another planet like long before the modern age and then taught them to be like worshippers of them and slaves ah. and stuff 
Like, there's, like, different species. They go to many different planets, and there's, like, people from all over Earth, like, different, like, races of people from all over Earth that all have, like, these weird, like, fake Egyptian gods as, like, their rulers. And mm-hmm. so, like, the thing of the TV series is, like, getting all the people on these different planets to realize that these guys are, like, bad and not gods, and we should revolt against them kind of thing but yeah it is it does have a lot of like religious things and then later after they defeat the gold spoilers for season eight of she won. <laughs> they, like, they um like basically didn't think they were going to get renewed and they so they defeated the bad guys that they'd been fighting for like a movie and eight oh, seasons wow. and were like oh crap we got renewed what do we do now so then they had another separate species of aliens that were also bad guys that were also posing as gods I didn't really think that hard about it. I wish they had gone in a different direction for that. If you ever want to talk about Stargate SG-1, I'm there. <laughs> Anyways, back to the film. <laughs> but, but yeah, like, uh, so he always wanted to do, like, a trilogy of this film. Uh, however, I, I'm assuming maybe because, like, it was panned by critics, even though it made, like, success in mm-hmm. terms of box office... Uh, the second and third film were never developed, although there been talks of a potential sequel uh, since 2006. It was revealed in 2016 that the relaunch was not going to happen. And due to the success of the film, TV spinoffs were created starting with the Stargate SG-1 in 1997. <laughs> uh, the show was a continuation of the film and lasted for 10 seasons which i did not know it lasted that long yeah dude it ended like 2007 yeah (laughs) and then there were even like more spinoffs after that with like a comic book series and other tv films and tv yeah they tried to reboot it again like two-ish years ago with stargate origins which is like a a weird like series of short very short episodes i've never seen it uh but public consensus is that it's very bad (laughs) but um, (laughs) it's about like the lady at the beginning the old lady who comes and finds Uh james spader you know she's like in the 20s she's in like ancient or she's just not in ancient egypt she's like digging stuff up in egypt with her father it's all about her life in like the 30s and 40s Oh. Which is, like, a little eh, because they didn't really do that much with the Stargate, because, like, the whole thing is that they can't really get it going (laughs) before James Spader (laughs) shows up, so it's just, like, I presume her being like, look at this Stargate we can't do anything with. Yeah. (laughs) Gotta do more digging. (laughs) Imagine if it lasted for ten seasons. Like, it would have just been her be like, oh, well... You know, James like Spader hasn't been born yet. So nineteen eighty, uh... <laughs> I still got ten more years. Yeah, <laughs> uh, because of that, Emmerich was not really king of the spinoffs and TV shows. So, yeah. Well, Sorry. I'm sure he still got paid lots of money. Oh, he got paid. <laughs> so, yeah. I my sympathy only goes so far. I'm sure he still got rich off this. Yeah, I mean, because, like, he got he got a directing credit and a screenwriting credit, so he's, and he's I'm still sure getting he royalties. Got, like, a, I'm sure because he was wrote the screenwriting play, he also got royalties for all 
10 seasons of SG-1 and, like, whatever, how many seasons there were of Atlantis, like, six and two seasons of Universe, and damn. (laughs) (laughs) Let's get into the summary. So the film begins in ancient Egypt, 8,000 BC, where an unknown spaceship arrives in the middle of the night. And while all most of the people run away, uh, an adolescent boy follows the light and is taken by an alien. It's basically just like a beam of light that just shoots at him and then it whitens the screen. I think it's crazy that they do this. Sorry, not the whiting of the screen, but, like, usually in movies, if it starts out, like, everything's, something crazy's happening and everyone's running away, if you walk towards the source of the noise, that's, like, real main character energy. But instead, he just gets killed and gets his body replaced. And I'm like, wow. Yeah. Okay. It then cuts to 1928 in Giza, Egypt, where Kathleen Langford, who is, like, eight or 10 mm. at the time around that time yeah and her father arrived at a site where workers unearth covered stones which is also called casting stones uh engraved with egyptian hieroglyphics the workers then discover a fossil underneath and like when i meant fossils like it's kind of like it's weird because it looks like humans but it has like kind of like um that one Egyptian god of death. It's like the one with the dog's head. Oh, yeah. I don't understand this bit. Is this supposed to be the body of the original Ra? Like, what is this little skeleton-y thing? When I watch on my side, it kind of seemed that when Jackson was, like, describing what was happening based on, like, the stories of the hieroglyphics, it seems that that fossil is like a fossil of one of the overseers that were killed. Mm. So why does he have a dog's head? I think that was like his mask, probably. Oh, gotcha. Yeah. It wasn't clear from the way that the stat, like the, the thing he looks, like that that was metal and not like also bone. Yeah. Yeah, it was a, it was a bit weird. <laughs> <laughs> it it kind of looked like that they were in a rush, and they're like, okay, this is only going to be... Whatever, in, it's like, a jackal, we'll put scenes. it on the thing. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it's only going to be in two scenes for, like, five seconds. We don't, we don't need to focus on this that much. <laughs> yeah. We need to focus on the pyramid. <laughs> While, like, the workers are like, oh my god, like, there's, like, stuff, and there's this big ring. Catherine is intrigued, and then she's like, I just really, like, furring her brow, and just, yeah. (laughs) I'm gonna spend the next 80 years thinking about this big circle. (laughs) And then it cuts again to 1994 in New York City, where an Egyptologist and linguistics Dr. Daniel Jackson tries to discuss the Egyptian hieroglyphics and stating that, oh, due to his findings, they actually didn't create the pyramids. And then everyone in the room, which is just a bunch of old men and maybe a couple women. It's like not clear if this is like an official lecture. Like, yeah. Who are all these people that showed up? Like, clearly, he must have given some indication of his like views beforehand like you wouldn't show up to a speech by some guy an egyptologist and then be like surprised when they're like i'm going to talk about how the pyramids aren't real you'd be like 
wait, did I... Was this not on the pamphlet beforehand? <laughs> yeah, because I don't even think, like, it was saying about, like, oh, are the pyramids, like, made by Egyptians? Like, during that kind of, like, little, like, mm -hmm. what's it called? That little, like, poster of, like, the meeting that's happening upstairs or something. Yeah. I just feel like it's so crazy that all these people are, like, probably professors or something. Yeah. I don't know why they're going to this thing, but they just get up and walk out. I'm like, how rude are you? Yeah. And then, like, all of them are like, oh, he's crazy. And then one of them is like, oh, was it aliens that created? And you're like, yeah, then, actually, it was. Yeah. And Mira would step up and be like, yes, it was. It actually, was I do have, I do have a video to show you. You do? <laughs> no, oh. not, not me, but just, like, imagining Miro. He's like, okay, like, we're gonna watch that one show called like aliens something. oh yeah yeah like the one with the guy uh, with the crazy hair yes yes <laughs> <laughs> when he's like aliens and then like as like the years go his hair gets crazier and his skin gets tanner and tanner by <laughs> yep. the minute and <laughs> an older version of Catherine watches dr jackson from the sidelines but leaves with the rest of the people and as Jackson leaves, he is lured by a, the door person to enter this limo in front of the building. And once inside, Catherine tells him that she believes in him and invites him to an undisclosed location for a secret project. And though he is unsure, uh, she notes that he has nowhere to go and is broke and he was given a eviction notice and <laughs> i was like what the fuck i know another classic example of just being like here is your backstory no further questions <laughs> yeah we are going to talk about it <laughs> so meanwhile two military personnels arrive at vermont or new hampshire i have no idea it looked like one of them like they're right <laughs> next to each other you could just go to any of them <laughs> They go to a home, and it's like the home of Colonel... With one L. Jack O'Neill. <laughs> yeah. With one L, yes. <laughs> it's also crazy to me that they decided so, to call him Jack O'Neill, and then Jackson, Dr. Daniel Jackson. I'm like, why didn't you... Why is it like Dr. Daniel Johnson? <laughs> like, why are there two Jacks and then yeah. two, two main dudes? Yeah, that was like the main thing like in screenwriting classes, that they're like, hey, like maybe don't put like similar initials yeah with other characters yeah just like jackson jackson <laughs> jack is in his son's room and his son is named tyler and he's still mourning his sudden oh. death and his wife is like in the kitchen and then when the military person arrives, they're like, oh, like, we need to talk to O'Neill. Is he around? And then she takes out a cigarette and is like, I guess he is. I mean, like, maybe not like <laughs> this, but she was just, <laughs> she was just, like, really serious over the kitchen sink and was like, I guess. Maybe he is, maybe he's not. Don't ask me. We're in the same house, and I know for a fact he hasn't left, but. <laughs> you didn't go get coffee? I so assume I, he's still I'm sitting up there fondling still... that gun in our son's bedroom. <laughs> so weird. Well, it's like nine, so I'm assuming he's yeah. in the bedroom. <laughs> He'll be in there until 4 a.m. It's crazy to me that, like, I know that they call him in because they're like, who do we know 
who's really high up, has a lot of clearance, is a military guy, and is also suicidal. Oh yeah, Jack O'Neill. Mm-hmm. Let's give him an assignment instead of getting him <laughs> some mental health help. But mm-hmm. it's yes. insane that they're like, oh, he's like retired or something, and he recently had a family tragedy. Let's send him to space and have him blow up a planet. <laughs> yeah. That- no. <laughs> no. <laughs> so uh, the personnel is like informed Jack that his position has been reactivated before leaving. And this is when, um, in case if you don't know what's going on, audience, if you're just in a <laughs> rock somewhere out there, the senior officer informs the other officer that Jackson's died when he actually accidentally shot himself, which, okay, I had, that was like the one thing I did not get when watching this film. Was that the sudden shot himself? Yes, because usually military personnel and even law enforcement officers, they would try to make sure that their gun is like yeah, well, in you wouldn't a think safe. Yeah, would just be like lying around? It's... Yeah, so that's when I'm like, what the fuck were you doing, Jack? And this is like, like... A thing that's like it is not really consistent with who Jack is in this movie or in the TV series. Where yeah, he's like, this like super responsible guy, and he's like gonna go the yeah. distance to like do his duty or whatever and the, in the tv series he's a lot more fun than kurt russell kurt russell's mm-hmm. but um in the tv series yeah. he's like got this like really like fun sense of humor and blah, blah 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 and you're like this dude did not leave his handgun just sitting out somewhere if he did no you would not make him the head of like potentially the most important military option uh, military action yeah in human history you wouldn't be like, this guy's like <laughs> yeah. casually incompetent. Give him a bomb. Like, <laughs> yeah. It's it's so, that was like the one thing that mm. I did not get. And I'm like, okay, this is like, this is kind of like screenwriting Especially since it's so clear from the pictures and where... everything that the sun is like yeah. 10. You know? It's not like he like yes. broke into a safe and, and he like, you know, his dad was too in afghanistan for too long so he like got to drugs you know like he's like a child (laughs) yeah it wasn't like that this kid was like dealing with mental problems and was like okay i already know the coach and my dad's safe you know then like i'll be like okay (laughs) it's another thing that they changed from the tv series that i don't understand why like in the movie the son's name is tyler and in the tv series the son's name is charlie but there's no like explanation (laughs) for that they're just like, yeah, we're tired of the name Tyler. His <laughs> name's Charlie. <laughs> oh, wait, I thought it would have been so funny if they're like, Tyler with two R's. <laughs> or Taylor. Taylor! Because <laughs> I was like, when they said Tyler in the movie, I was like, oh my god, I could swear that O'Neill's son's name is Charlie. So I looked it up and I was like, it is Charlie in the TV series, but... Who knows why they changed it? Yeah. Apparently the O'Neill, like, they're like, oh, we don't need to change it that much. But the Tyler, yes. Maybe there was, like, yes, too many should. Tyler O'Neills with with two L's and, like, legal wouldn't let him <laughs> do it or something. I don't know. <laughs> Probably. I have no idea. Jackson arrives in Creek Mountain, Colorado, which is kind of funny because I think that's where Space Force is located in terms of, like, the Netflix oh. show. So it's kind of... Yeah, it's like in Colorado, so I'm like, what the fuck? 
<laughs> so that's where the casting stones are displayed. And it's kind of like in an underground bunker. And in order to get to the bunker, you had to go into this like weird like kind of tunnel that surprisingly it, it kind of looks like that okay like no one goes mm. through this tunnel yet they're like okay let's like make it busy let's have like soldiers doing push-ups even <laughs> though like, a car yeah, is coming the towards the them <laughs> yeah <laughs> just do like some military stuff guys you know they're like all the extras are like what does that mean they're like figure it out on the day <laughs> look strong yeah <laughs> So the doctors kind of catch up for Jackson about what's happening and their findings. And Jackson looks at the translation that they did and he nearly just like erases most of it and just rewrites it. it's crazy because he's supposed to be like, they're clearly (laughs) setting him up with this like linguistic genius. And then he gets the planet. Yeah. And he like doesn't even really try to understand what they're saying for a really long time. He's just going around going like... You understand chicken? Like, no, they don't understand chicken. They're not a, have you seen their their animals? They don't have chickens. Come on, you're a linguistic yeah. expert. Like, surely you should be out here. Like, if you can't do written language, fine. But you should be out here like trying to find like common root words. It's insane to me that he's just like pantomiming chickens instead of like doing yes. some <laughs> linguistics work. <laughs> Based on his translation, um, it writes, Millions years into the sky is Ra, sun god, sealed and buried for all time, his stargates. And Jackson asks the team why the military is participating in this study. And then this is when O'Neill arrives with a G.I. Joe haircut. And And he arrives with notes that he will be taking over the project and any classified documents will not be shown to non-military members. Which is like a crazy thing to do when you're just like, this dude just solved a puzzle. And you're like, yeah, but like, don't tell him the one genius we need to solve this. (laughs) anything else. Catherine tries to seek the answers of why this is happening because I guess she had full ride control over the project but O'Neill refuses to answer and just again leaves again. (laughs) (laughs) Later that night Jackson who is still in the casting stones room struggles to figure out what is the stones purpose and while making coffee, he discovers a part of an article that shows the constellation of Orion. And then he compares it with the stones and discover it's like the same constellation to this one. This is something I don't understand. Later, like yeah. a scene later from what you're describing, they're like, it took you two days to figure out what it took them two years or whatever. So did they already know yeah. all this? Or did he just come across, like he's like... Oh, they're like star symbols, but then they're already set up. Like they open the the, the gate and they're already like set up to start dialing. So yeah. they must have already known that. All that they needed him for was to tell them what the like Earth symbol was. Why didn't you just bring yeah. him up to speed and then see if he could figure it out? Would have taken thirteen <laughs> fewer days. But it's just insane. That was that was just so dumb. 
<laughs> the next day, Jackson meets up with the Air Force personnel and the non-military personnel to explain his findings. And he describes that all the stones are a map, like this big map that they use as spatial coordinations. And when all seven symbols are logged in on this ring, a wormhole opens connecting the Stargate with a distant planet. The seventh chevron is locked. They say that like 8,000 <laughs> yes. times during the CB series. They're always like, the first chevron is locked. <laughs> when Catherine notes that Jackson solved the puzzle in two days compared to two years, the original doctor notes that the symbol he writes isn't on the device, causing Jackson to question what device they're talking about. And then it's just like, everyone's just like looking at each other. And then the, the main, the head commander is like, show, show him. And then, Show them, boys. <laughs> and then I, I think it was like O'Neill or Kowalski, like just gets up, pushes the button, and then like opens this they like just sort of small like, He's window. like writing on a whiteboard, and the whiteboard just kind of like goes into the ceiling, and they're like, yeah, there's a huge like missile silo behind this wall with a Stargate there already ready to go. Like we've just like, we've been typing in the chevrons while we've been talking. It's crazy. Yeah, we were actually testing you this entire time. Insane. <laughs> when Jackson discovers the seventh symbol, they need to turn on the device. The team turns on the wormhole. And after a couple combination, this liquid wormhole appears in the middle of the Stargate. And they... <laughs> This this also got me laughing too because they bring in this robot that's probably like millions of dollars and they just chuck it through the stargate. Yes. <laughs> it's crazy. <laughs> and then a part of me was like I it would have been so funny if someone was like, "Oh, that's really expensive. I got to go get that over thing there." Back. And then they just walk in. <laughs> and we got they oh, burn through those things. Like in Stargate SG One, they clearly just have like an unlimited budget on robots in like in the <laughs> fake world because they're just like they call them malps and they'll just be like send the malp through and like they're losing them left right. They're always like losing a malp or it broke on the way or like or they're like we didn't get any you know telemetry from the malp and it's like you guys just got an unlimited amount of robots. Or, like every time we send something, to, oh my god, there's a huge bug in, on my. Is this a bug or is this a hair? Oh, it's a hair. I thought it was a bug. Never mind. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, despite not knowing the type of location, some of the officers note that it's a livable location. I guess that for some reason the robot senses things and it's like, oh yeah, like it's it's livable. It's got oxygen. You guys mm. will be fine. One of the officers notes that they have to find the gate symbols in order to travel back to Earth, possibly making the mission almost impossible. Uh, but Jackson offers to help, feeling that he can detect and translate the symbols. Though O'Neill thinks that he's full of shit, the commander allows Jackson to join a small team of personnel and travel to the unknown planet. Really quick. Yeah, because I can't remember at the end of the film. Do they even talk about how they dialed back? Because they have it like hooked up to all kinds of like mechanics on the Earth side. Uh huh. And I don't think they have a DHD, a dial home device, on Abydos. 
in the movie. So like, how are they? How are they getting it? Are they just like hanging on to the thing and like manually pulling it to the right chevrons? Because it's got to like go around the circle, you know. Well, I mean, when they put the coordinates on their side, like in the beginning, it seems like they didn't need to do that on the yeah, other. Yeah, like side. they just sort of like are like we solved it in the meantime off screen, and they like walk through the thingy, and I'm like, okay, but like how? Yeah, how are you powering it? <laughs> How are you moving it? <laughs> that, I mean, that is a great question because they don't, they don't explain if it needs alien energy. Or like how, because like, like they have their whole like system yeah. in the mountain where they're like dialing the thingies in on the computer and that's somehow turning the Stargate. But it's like, where, what's the computer thingy that you're using on the planet to get back home? It's like back <laughs> Yeah, like what are you doing? i have no idea i feel like there's a lot of problems that i'm realizing yeah. they solved in the tv series but because they were like it wasn't important for the movie but they're like long term we're gonna have to like have a way to get back home <laughs> yeah like long term you may need to have a bike yeah like they basically this, have like, like a TV remote show. a big remote that comes with every it's like stuck on the ground next to every stargate in the tv series because it's like basically mm. like a big telephone you just go like beep 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 and it's yeah. like dials you home oh and it's like a huge plot point every time they end up on a planet that that thing is missing because then they're like shit how do we get home like our mm -hmm. telephone is gone we have to like rig up some sort of like weird system to get to like get enough power and stuff to get to the stargate but yeah in the movie they're like whatever this they didn't anticipate 15 years of spinoffs so they were like no one will ask these kinds of questions <laughs> Yeah, this is only going to be a yeah. three-movie deal. Like, <laughs> O'Neill goes to a private holding center where they keep this unknown fossil, and it's, like, the one that they found in 1928. And it's so funny because, like, it's just, like, this lone, like, soldier that's just, like, sitting just on the like desk. Just, like, day in and day out guarding a fossil. Yeah. What are they thinking the fossil's going to yeah. do? And then, like, O'Neill just, like, walks in. He could just walk in anytime mm -hmm. he wants to. <laughs> the commander follows him, and O'Neill informs the commander that adding Jackson into the team will just make their plan even more complicated. And then the commander says, that's why I brought you here. And I'm like, but why? <laughs> yeah. I guess just to blow things up. It's crazy to me that they're like, oh, we think we might have found a way to another planet. They don't know any of yeah. this stuff about, like, they probably have a hint that there's, like, some ancient Egypt influence and stuff. But they don't know any of this crap about Ra yeah. being, like, a weird, half-naked pedophile. They don't know any of that junk. For all they know, there's, like, another thriving planet over there that could be, like, BFFs with. But they're like, nah, let's not, like, send over diplomats or whatever first. Let's, step one, <laughs> blow them up. Crazy. Come on, the military, what are you doing? I have, I have no idea. I mean, they do a lot of really crazy shit. <laughs> it's just... <laughs> Before Jackson leaves, Catherine goes and gives him the golden necklace that she found when they found the Stargate. And notes that it gave her good luck, so assuming that it will give him good luck. 
And then Jackson joins O'Neill and his team, which is Riley, Poro, Freeman, Brown, Freddy, and Kowalski. So, like, 70% of the people, we do not even hear yeah, or like, all know of the, their I backstory. Like, I don't know what the na- last name of the guy is who's the third rock from the sun guy. I just know him as, mm-hmm. like, comedic relief guy. He's Freddy. Okay, other than Freddy and Kowalski, you don't really, like, hear them say each other's names. They say Kowalski a lot. They're always like, Kowalski! But other than Kowalski, they're not really saying each other's names. That's (laughs) it. Yeah. And it's funny because when they, you know, reignite the Stargates, just the personnel just, like, pass through the wormhole with Mm -hmm. ease. And then Jackson is like, oh, I'm going to take a slow. So then he just sticks his head in. And then he just transfers like through space and then just like ends up like on the ground it kind of looked like he was like about to be Mm. on fire you know like he was like smoking like (laughs) and then they're like oh it's it's okay it It wears off it's It's just like a little meanwhile they've had time to like set up a base camp in the like four minutes that he was spending his time running his fingers through the Stargate. They already like set up catering. They're like, okay, yeah. we got it. Crafty's ready. <laughs> Grump is here. <laughs> Once all of them arrive at the planet, the gate shuts down and then leaves them in the darkness. And then they go like five minutes of just moving like 10 feet at a time. Like they were just like, move from one pillow, check the place, <laughs> move it to the another pillow, check it again. <laughs> After all that, they make it outside to d- discover that the place that they arrive is a replica of mm-hmm. the pyramids from Egypt. And despite the team settling in, O'Neill orders them to get ready and try to make contact, I believe, with like base camp while ordering jackson to turn stargate back on and jackson notes that it will be very difficult to turn it back on because he needs to look around to see if there's civilization nearby in order to find the codes and then the markings will be on a tablet that he needs to be on in order for it to make the right coordinates. He has to find, like, written down instructions, basically. It's crazy to me that the military guys get mad at him, and they're like, you said you could get us back. And it's like, (laughs) they were clearly going to send you guys with or without Jackson. Yeah. He's, like, obviously a better option to get back than just you idiots. But also, like, why did they think he'd just know how to do it? (laughs) Yeah. Also, they even told them, like, oh, this might be an impossible mission. Like, you guys may never Mm -hmm. come back if we do this so they knew going into it that they may yeah, not they come still back get, like real pissy about it when he's like i would i would like to see <laughs> the instructions please yeah so while relaxing jackson spots uh foot trucks and then finds this buffalo like animal however the team catches up to him and it's like oh don't touch it like it, it's like a dangerous creature but then Jackson's like, oh no, it's domesticated. Look, it's got harness. But then the animal becomes startled and runs away, dragging This felt like Jackson. one of those like <laughs> those like comedy sequences of a bygone age. Where it's just like, and now we'll just yeah. watch Jackson be like like pulled across the dunes for a while. And it's just like this it felt like yeah. it was in like the wrong film. It felt like something that would happen in like 
Jumanji or something. Yeah, or like yeah, a comedy. It's like the one like <laughs> truly like farcical moment in the whole thing and you're like, this is a weird sequence. Yeah. Uh, so once the horse like creature stops, the team notice a group of people working at this mine and O'Neill orders Jackson to communicate with the civilians arguing that he's a linguistic but Jackson hesitates a hi. He's like, oh, hi. Like, how are you? <laughs> but the people become confused when the men just bow to him because he has the necklace of Ra. And so they're like, oh, like, you know, in terms of like indigenous people meeting white European people back in the 16th century that they're like, oh, this must be God. Like, I know, like, in Aztec culture, they thought that Francis Kai uh, thought he was God because it, it he landed on the day that they were told that some godlike was like, going to That's, like, deeply unfortunate. <laughs> yes. <laughs> it's, like, just, like, real bad timing for the people who were there. <laughs> yes. So, because of that, they were like, oh, he might be the god that's supposed to come so then they're all bowing to him and then O'Neill tries to shake hands of Skara who runs and brings his father Kasuf and Kasuf tries to talk to the men but Jackson notes that their language sounds familiar but cannot pinpoint at what language Kasuf is saying yeah, yeah. And once they exchange water and food, Kasuf invites a team to their town. O'Neill orders one of his men to inform the rest of the team to guard the pyramid, noting that they are not sure how long they will be gone. As they walk, Jackson spots Shari, Shari. Uh, the woman. Shari. <laughs> I think they call her like Charay or something. It's basically Sherry, but it's just like Charay or something. This is another one they like randomly changed the spelling of for the TV series. Because everyone was like, how do you say that? (laughs) Once the group arrives at the city, the team learns that the people worship the god of Ra, who is the father of all creation. And before Jackson could talk to Kasuf, Uh, A sandstorm arrives, causing the villagers to blockade the city. And this is kind of like a weird miscommunication because O'Neill and his men think that the villagers are barricading them and like taking Mm -hmm. them as prisoners. So then they just like hold a couple of the villagers at gunpoint and just a totally natural and not bizarre reaction. (laughs) Yeah. However, Kasuf's son Skyra notes to O'Neill to follow him, and then they go up onto like kind of like the oh what's it called like the like barricade thingy i don't yeah yeah and they revealed that an actual sandstorm is arriving so he's like oh i'm sorry sorry we tried to kill several of you (laughs) my bee (laughs) back at the camp the rest of the team seeks shelter in the pyramid while trying to receive a signal from O'Neill. That night, the villagers throw a group dinner and a party for the team, 
and O'Neill wonders if the villagers know any Egyptian culture since the god is a an Egyptian god. Jackson tries to write the symbol to Kasuf to kind of like see if writing something could kind of like help mm. with the language but Kasuf wipes the symbol away making Jackson believe that writing is forbidden and then just then Kasuf orders a group of women to take Jackson to a room and clean him and then once they leave Kasuf's daughter Shari <laughs> enters and then just begins to undress hinting that she is Jackson's gift from her father. Jackson is like, oh no, you don't need to do that. But then she thinks like, oh, he's, he doesn't like me. And then they try to leave, but Kasuf is standing outside. I know, he's like, get back creepy. in there and fuck this stranger. <laughs> it's so weird. Yeah, and Kasuf is like, oh, you don't like her? Like, kind of gesturing, like, oh, like, is is this bad? But Jackson is like, oh no, no, I, I like her. Like, oh, like, thank you. Thanks for your daughter, <laughs> my dude. <laughs> So then they return back to the room and Jackson tries to explain his journey through a drawing on the sand. But uh, Shari refuses to look, but when Jackson turned around, she draws a symbol and he asks her to show her where the symbol is, feeling that this may be part of a combination to go back to Earth. Meanwhile, the rest of the team remain in the pyramid when they experience like these strange noises and they discover that a ship has arrived and just lands right just on goes top like, of shoop. the pyramid. It's like a big pyramid that like lands on yeah. top of a little pyramid. It's so funny. As they spread out, the soldiers are attacked one by one with the last soldier witnessing this strange, tall, muscular man with an animated mask. It cuts back to the village where Skara and visits O'Neill and watches him smoking, which is like very I know, to be like, we're bonding, like, we're oh. smoking. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like right before the Congress hearing. <laughs> he kind of like shows them how to like smoke a cigarette and use his lighter. But then when Skara tries to use um, the gun, O'Neill like is like, no, don't touch it. It's the audience forbidden. knows about my tragic and... backstory now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Which is kind of funny because he also left it right there. Yeah, if you're just going to like leave your gun around, then what do you expect? Did you learn nothing? Apparently he, he hasn't. He hasn't. Like his son is dead. He almost killed someone yeah. else. This man. <laughs> you gotta put your guns away, my dude. Yeah. So once at the relic, Jackson discovers that the villagers' uh, language is a variant of ancient Egyptian and allowing him to communicate them. And then it cuts to two soldiers being taken onto the ship where the guards place them in front of Ra. And before Ra stands up, one of the soldiers wake up, but he is knocked out again by one of the guards. Mm -hmm. So it's kind of like a weird short cutback. And when O'Neill fails to receive word from the other members, he tries to find Jackson. And with the help of Skara, they find Jackson in a relic talking to Shari. <laughs> Jackson notes that an alien of an endangered species 
tries to look for a way to survive and cheat death. It wasn't until he spots Earth and finds humans, so the alien decides to possess a human to extend his life. How he extends his life or what he lives off of, I have no idea. It does not it's explain. It's sort of like he went into he, uh, that human boy. And then later in the series, they explain basically that he's using the sarcophagus thing that brought Jackson back to life. But that is not made mm-hmm. clear in the film. It's very weird. So as a result, the alien claims himself as Ra, the ruler and uses Stargate to bring some of the humans to his planet to mine the minerals that is used for his technology. However, back at Earth, the humans revolted, overthrowing Ra's guards and burying the Stargate to prevent its use. As a result, Ra bans writing in his planet. Uh, And Kowalski takes Jackson to Kotrush, containing the symbol for the Stargate that they need in order to go back to um, Earth. However, Jackson discovers that the seventh and final symbol is broken off, making it useless. And frustrated, O'Neill orders Jackson and his team to head back to the main base, only to find a big-ass pyramid on top of the pyramid. (laughs) We were down there for so long, another pyramid sprang up. They're attacked and the bomb that O'Neill assembled um, in the beginning is nowhere to be found. And they witness one of the main guards teleporting into the room where the Stargate is. And they are immediately taken into the pyramid. And then once inside the pyramid, Ra appears with a bunch of children (laughs) and a bunch of kids. Yes. O'Neill tries to take down the guards and kill Ra, but not only is Jackson killed in this scuffle, Ra manages to have the children to form a barricade around him, which is kind of creepy. Yeah. But, um, You're like, whose yeah. kids are these? Where did you get these children from? I have no idea. I don't know if... Because, like, again, they don't really explain, like, what are these children? Are these, like, his offsprings? Are these just, like, Egyptians that he... Yeah, like, are these just, like, more I, people I, I, from oh, yeah. the village? Like, if so, why are they, like loyal to him i don't it's just very confusing very weird but o'neill struggles to shoot rob because there's children (laughs) in front of the way he is basically taken to this underground yet flooded room uh (laughs) where the other soldiers are kept jackson is taken to the sarcophagus to be rejuvenated because apparently he's important okay (laughs) And while Skara and his friends are outside of the pyramid, they watch the guards in the spaceship fly to his village and attack the residents there. And then once they return to the village, Kasuf mentions to Skara that they should never help the foreigners. And then once Jackson wakes up in Ra's healing sarcophagus, he discovers that his wound has been healed and then he meets up with Ra, who is also, again, with, like, a group of children, just, like... Ra's basically just like, hey, dude, you're the main character, so what brought you back to life? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, the screen the screenwriters told me yeah. that you were the main character. <laughs> 
so he meets up with Ra and asks why he's using the humans and then Ra is like oh well the humans are easy to repair and then they provide great inventions and ideas but he also warns to Jackson that he should never have opened the gate and because Ra is uh, going to send the bomb that O'Neill brought along with air alien material that he has to blow up the earth like ten. It's weird because like, like if he's such a big fan mm -hmm. using humans wouldn't you go back and be like oh shit these people are like way more advanced than the last time I was there I'm gonna go back kidnap a few more who were potentially not like yeah. smarter but certainly more educated and not like cut myself off from this like pipeline of like awesome slaves but instead he's just like now nah, let's blow it up i'm good <laughs> yeah i'm good so he wants to blow up the earth making the team unable to return and basically causing the human race to be on the verge mm -hmm. of extinction Dara and his friends find sheree <laughs> in the relic area where she informs them the stories um, from their ancestors and notes that they do not have to be slaves anymore. Uh, it then cuts back to Ra holding an ex execution in the of the military personnel's in front of like the big gas pyramid to demonstrate his power and he forces Jackson to execute his teammates but Skara and his friends create a di diversion that allows Jackson and the military personnel to ex escape. It's kind of unclear what he needs Jackson to kill the other guys when he has like yeah. Mr. Eyeliner who seems like really Jones into murder some people. Like why doesn't he just use that guy? <laughs> <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. And then also like Skara and his friends know immediately how to use a gun even though they were never told how to use yeah. a gun because like guns like were never invented prior to them being taken yeah no they were yeah they were being taken to this planet. planet like way before like humanity was still like you know working out the finer points of the spear it seems like so like <laughs> yeah it's kind of it's very very like weird that all of a sudden they just like bring out these guns and they They're shoot like, boom, in the boom, air. We did it, guys! Like, yeah. <laughs> Jackson and his teammates hide at a nearby cave where Skara and his friends celebrate. And despite Kowalski happy that they have extra help, O'Neill orders them to st stop playing with the guns and go home. Again, very weird that <laughs> he would say uh, that. He's just like, I have drama. Go home. Yeah. Jackson confronts O'Neill about the bomb, like, right in front of everyone. He's like, well, aren't you going to mention about the bomb? And this causes O'Neill to confess to Kowalski and, you know, his other personnel that he was ordered to find any sign of danger in this planet. And if he find anything, that he would have to blow up the Stargate. What? This is what I don't get. Like, they're like, we're going to spend all this time and energy opening the Stargate, and then we're going to blow it up. Why didn't you just rebury it? Like, why didn't you just blow up yeah. the one on our side? <laughs> exactly. It's ridiculous. <laughs> so he refuses to inform his comrades because he was going to stay behind uh, to make sure the bomb goes off. Again, a sign that he is suicidal. So suicidal. <laughs> Somehow. <laughs> yeah. 
If he did, he was ordered to blow up the Stargate. And as Jackson lectures O'Neill, O'Neill mentions that he doesn't know the final symbol that they need to go back home, which is a jab alert right there. It's like, oh, you thought that I was an idiot blowing up the Stargate? You don't even know the combination. Yeah, like, Come on, man. You don't even know how to get us home. And he's like, well, I didn't think that if I didn't figure it out, you'd just blow us all up. <laughs> Communication. <laughs> And then O'Neill, with his, like, landscape cut, like, like, just walks away. I have to blow us all up. Sorry, guys. I pinky promised I would do it. Jackson follows O'Neill and wonders why O'Neill would stay behind to blow up the Stargate. And this is when we learn more about his backstory. He could have just, we could have just, he could have just told us the backstory now. We didn't need that scene where they're like, hey, guys, I think, I think there's something wrong with this guy. Hey, did you know? He might have some, some past trauma he's trying to work through fun fact his son shot himself <laughs> you heard of fun facts uh, i got a fun fact for you child <laughs> death in the 90s and that was a big <laughs> one back then <laughs> o'neill notes that he has no family right before scara arrives with food and i guess it's kind of like a hint that oh maybe scara is o'neill's like you know potential yeah, like replacement son, son. or like yeah. son figure yeah meanwhile ra tortures and kills one of his guards for allowing the foreigners to escape and we witness the performance of a lifetime for this guard dying like it's did like, you ah. see that like he was like, <laughs> <laughs> uh so back at the cave scaro's friends mentioned to jackson that husbands don't do this kind of work Making him a bit confused as Cherie <laughs> gets embarrassed and then hides in this nearby room with like a very thin yeah. like curtain. <laughs> the thinnest of walls. And when they talked, she revealed that she didn't tell them that Jackson turned her down in the beginning, causing Jackson to kiss her. And Ascara like closes the thin curtain to give them privacy, even though there is no privacy. So awkward. It's like they're supposed to be like sister and brother. So it's like Scara, like you need to get further away. If your sister's just like just about to bone down, <laughs> you need to, you need to vacate the premises. Yes. So the next morning, Scara draws a sign of victory on the wall, to which Jackson recognized that it is the final sim- symbol how he knew it was the final He's just symbol. like, this is the only symbol anyone's drawn so far in the book, in the movie, so. <laughs> yeah. That's the final symbol? I guess, so I guess they're like, our planet's yeah. called Victory? I don't know. I guess. <laughs> it then cuts to people working at the mines, um, while the overseer bosses them around, and O'Neill and the remaining men aid Skara in killing the overseer, and they kind of do this where they're pretending to be the miners in the cloaks, but then they reveal it like, oh yeah, they're not miners, and they're actually they're know, actually the here to <laughs> kick some ass. Because Suv lectures Scar to stop, saying like, oh, they're our gods, but Scar argues that they should not be slaves anymore. And also, Jackson is like, oh, well, look at your, your gods that you look up to. And he removes their masks, and it's just humanoids. 
So they're like, oh, that's interesting. <laughs> Seeing the caravan arriving, I don't know how long this took for them to like, walk head toward towards the pyramid. The pyramid. Yeah, so Ross sees them and then orders his guards to send the bomb to Stargate, to mm. like, the Stargate. And once the caravan arrives, the overseers check the humans like they check to see like oh is this like the foreigners from earth yeah like, so they must have like <laughs> thought maybe this was a plan they would use and yet they still were like not that good at preventing it no because all the guy did was just lift their cloaks up and it's like you couldn't just like maybe do that earlier on or be like or hey stop here like... and i'll i'll search you or yeah yeah but then when they remove one of the people's cloaks it it's revealed to be O'Neill, and he's like, hi, you miss me? And then he shoots <laughs> and kills one of the overseers, and another fight ensues, and then the door of the pyramid closes, and two ships arrive to attack the rest of the caravan that are still outside, and it's like Kowalski, Skara, and Skara's friends. And Skara's assorted <laughs> friends, including that one really yeah. short guy with, like, the very intense unibrow. <laughs> yes. <laughs> uh, so Ra orders the final overseer to send the bomb to Earth, and this is like the crazy guy with like the intense. Yeah, the one who's like so that... like he's just like itching for a fight the whole time. He's like, "Yeah, man, I'll go out there and I'll fight yes. him for you." <laughs> and Ra's like, "Nah, man, I need yeah. you to stand here and look imposing." And he's like, "Let me at him, boss." <laughs> It's like, Johnny Moon was able to yeah. do it. Why can't I? <laughs> O'Neill makes it to the bond to activate it, giving Jackson just seven minutes <laughs> to leave the planet and return to Earth. And doesn't even give him, like, a Yeah, he's not like, doesn't, I'm like, about to like, press okay. this button, and then you'll have seven minutes. He's like, I actually have, like, six minutes and 58 seconds. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Counting down right now. <laughs> Uh, however, one of the overseers shoots and kills Shari, causing Jackson to take her to the ship through that teleportation mm -hmm. machine. They have like nearby. Regu the regular Stargate that goes from planet to planet, and they also have the like vertical Stargates that just go. They go like shoo 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 shoo, shoo. and they just like take you like from one <laughs> location. It's like an elevator essentially. Basically, <laughs> so he takes her to the sarcophagus in hopes to rejuvenate her. And once the process is finished, Jackson returns with her to the teleportation system, only for Ra to try to kill him with the same electric shock as, like, the Overseer. Yeah. <laughs> However, while that's happening, O'Neill's fighting the uh, Overseer that's really into wanting to <laughs> fight. And <laughs> in the middle of the fight, O'Neill gets the upper hand, and activates the teleportation system, which when it kind of sets up, it basically cuts it to where it's like the mm -hmm. neck area. It's kind of like beheads him. Yeah, like the head is inside the teleportation system, but his body yeah. isn't. The guy's head is teleported back to the ship, and then Jackson and Cherie go back to the pyramid. It's really crazy to <laughs> me, like Ross, so like unemotional, like he just goes like guy liner's head. And then he just, like, goes back, he's, like, walks over, and he's, like, he's just, like, time to yeah. go. And he, like, he, he just starts driving his spaceship away, but he's not, like, oh, damn. Or, like, he doesn't even look angry. He's just, like, well, 
time to leave town. (laughs) Also, like, there's no kids. Like, what happened to the kids? At what point was he like, kids, you got to go? Are they all sitting some? Is there, like, a little room where they're all strapped into their seatbelts? Like, what? Where where are the kids? (laughs) (laughs) Meanwhile, outside, the humans run out of ammo and are forced to surrender. However, the villagers join the team, knowing that the gods they worship are not gods or mm-hmm. just humanoids and outnumber Ra and his soldiers and so Ra leaves on his ship with no hesitation <laughs> <laughs> and when O'Neill notes to Jackson that they cannot stop the bomb uh, claiming the military probably rigged it they decide to teleport the bomb into onto Ra's ship killing Ra in the process and right before he dies you you talked about how it kind of did that yeah, weird that effect. Yeah, weird 90s of... effect of, like, peeling away layers. So they're like, doom, 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 doom. Is he, like, a, a very smooth-skinned human individual? Or is he, like, a weird, bulbous-headed alien dude? And then he's on fire. And they're like, yeah. it's bulbous-headed alien dude. And his skull is burning off. It's like, it's so extra. <laughs> Skara and his friends salute to O'Neill, thanking for his help, and it's just, it's just like a bit weird. Like I know that there was a scene where they saw Kowalski salute to O'Neill, but it's just like a strange, like custom. Yeah. Yeah. Cherie kisses Jackson, and Kasuf cheers the villagers in a chant. And as the humans celebrate their freedom, the remaining team, O'Neill, Kowalski, Peretti, the rest that we do not know died, (laughs) (laughs) return to Earth while Jackson decides to stay behind with Cherie. And it was kind of funny because O'Neill's like, are you going to be all right? And then they turn to Cherie and Cherie's smiling because it's like, okay, like, it's like a nervous smile. Like, okay, what's going on? Yeah, she's happen? like, I got into this with the understanding that you'd be going home. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, oh, I don't like yeah. it that much. Like, <laughs> and then without hesitation, Jackson just turns to O'Neill and says, yeah, it's we'll so be weird. Right. Like, and they explain <laughs> this and I just missed it. Like, Jackson has this whole thing where he's got allergies all, every time he travels. And he starts sneezing when he gets the planet. Yeah. And then he just stops sneezing. Yeah, I think like it's a like... a metaphor for him becoming more, like, in tune with the planet or something. Maybe. Because I'm maybe like, if you're going to be stuck on this planet for the foreseeable future and there's no Zyrtec, you're in for some deep shit. Like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Especially if he has seasonal allergies. Like, and they're, like he's oof. probably not even, like, he's not even prepared for the weird amount of, like, weird desert plants and animals he's going to encounter here, you know? yeah also like he doesn't even know like if his kid is gonna be okay like you know because like they're kind of like diff they are humans but like she's from ancient yeah like they're so like modern their genetics are ten thousand years different like that's a lot yeah yeah that's a lot (laughs) jackson asks o'neill the same question to which O'Neill assures that he will be alright and before he leaves Jackson gives O'Neill the raw necklace that Catherine gave him saying that it did borrow him luck and O'Neill states that he'll be seeing him around and it's weird because like he's right in front of the wormhole which is so bright that you can't even see 
O'Neill talking. <laughs> <laughs> you just see, like, his shadow. <laughs> he turns and enters a wormhole, and then the camera goes through the wormhole before cutting to black. And then it just says, the end. It's just, yeah. that's it. <laughs> just like, <laughs> the end. <laughs> But yeah, that's the that's the end of the film. But not the end of the series. <laughs> no. <laughs> so yeah, what did you what did you think about? I the feel film? like I have some goodwill for this film because I have such goodwill for the show. There's like so many good ideas in this film. Like there's so many good things. Like the way the wormhole works and like the whole thing about like having to basically just it's basically just a rotary phone that could take you into space because you just have to know the phone number basically and be able to type it in yeah it's like it's a good idea it's very simple the whole thing about like the using the conspiracy theories about the pyramids is like a good idea i like jackson but there's just also like so many and it's also like maybe just like that era of of action film where there's just like random holes in the story that they don't address and they're like well no one will ask or we don't care <laughs> like yeah. so i don't i don't i don't think it's a good movie i think it's a good idea that was later explored in other things maybe if you were to make this movie today with like today's like modern screenwriting conventions about like showing and not telling and like just better special effects for one thing yeah maybe it could be a good film i don't know i'd give it like a six out of ten Maybe like a five and a half out of ten. Yeah. There's like stuff I like and like I like the actors and I like a lot of the special effects and like I have a strange affection for like water effect in the wormhole because they use that later. And it's like, but like as a whole, like it's not a very good movie. <laughs> like, <laughs> No. <laughs> I do agree that I do love the idea. Like I love how they explain the wormhole and time traveling, but then it's not like you're getting older as you're mm-hmm. time traveling you're still the same age and but i do agree that there's a lot of plot holes like when i first watched it, i was like wow this is like a really great you know pretty yeah. decent film but then as you watch it you're like wait a minute why does he why did he allow his son to like yeah just have why the is their first just... instinct to blow up the planet <laughs> like why don't they send through <laughs> any like why isn't there more of like an expedition if they're that worried, why are they trying to make the Stargate work at all? Like, like, yeah, this is so many questions. Yeah, and I am glad that it went on to become a successful TV show. Again, haven't seen it, but now that I know that it lasted for ten seasons, I kind of yeah. If you watch ever need, it, to, you if know? you run out of material for this podcast, and you're like, I need to watch fifteen <laughs> seasons of television, I'm there. <laughs> <laughs> Also, it's got early, what's his face? Um, Kyle Drogo. What's that actor's name? You know, Kyle from uh, Game of Thrones. Kyle Drogo is from Game of Thrones. Blur, blur, blur. Jason Momoa. Oh. Jason Momoa, young baby Jason Momoa is in Stargate Atlantis. He's one of the main characters. Yeah. Oh, oh it's without Yeah, this is like pre-beard. Oh, wow. <laughs> wow. Oh, this is when he, like... Because looking at his, like, younger version of himself, you could tell that it was, like, a, a person that was just trying to like, figure what's out his vibe? what yeah. works for him. Yeah. Because, like, there's, like, this one photo of him that he just looks like an asshole, yep. <laughs> you know? But then as, like, he's like, okay, like, a beard helps, and, oh, long hair also helps. He's like, yeah, like, now I look like a 
pretty yeah. nice in, guy. <laughs> in uh, Starry Atlantis, he has this hair, and I don't know if it's, like, extensions or it was all his hair, but he's got these, like, really quite dreadful dreads that are, like, really messy and, like, not, like, nice dreads, you know? Yeah, it's, like... It's like um, 90s yeah. dreads. It's not like a pretty... Yeah, it's not like, a, like I keep care... I take care of these. It's like, I got my hair twisted, like, yeah. once, and now I just, like, this is what happens to it. Like... <laughs> yeah. yeah, he also does look like the... the I, yeah, I think they were going for, like, uh, <laughs> the dreads are, like, really, really big, which is why I thought maybe he might have extensions, because it seems like way too much hair for him to just, like, have on his head, maybe, you know? Maybe. Because he's got, like, a very, yeah. like tentacle vibe going on well for his character like was he supposed to be like the no he's he's something? like a bit of a hothead but he's like on the team because they always have to have like uh. you know like in stargate sg1 it's like they have S- o'neill they have jackson they have the lady they have the alien you know you gotta have a lady and an alien on every team so in stargate atlantis the first couple of season or first season the lady and the alien are the same person and then they were like, oh, we have, like, too many white dudes and not enough aliens. So they brought in uh, Jason Momoa. So there's a lady alien and a not lady alien. And they're both on the team. Mm. Yeah. Got it. <laughs> so That's he's, so like, funny. from a different planet. And, it, like, he's, like, a oh, human okay. that got, like, the same way the people on Abydos got, like, taken and put somewhere. His ancestors were taken and put somewhere. So he's, like, human but he's also, like, had a different civilization for, like, umpteen generations, you know? Yeah. So I guess in his uh-huh. his people have, like, really ill-kept dreads or something. I don't know. <laughs> I, I guess. I guess they were, like, watching way too many corn <laughs> music yeah. or corn music videos. Like, they're like, yeah, like, that's, like, the that's the look right that's there. <laughs> oh, man. I love Stargate SG-1 and Stargate Atlantis so much. I wish you to watch them. But it's really hard to get people to watch because you're like, okay, it's, you know, the 90s, so the special effects are kind of bad. And also it's a TV show, and it was the 90s, so there's like 22 episodes a season. And the second to last episode of every season is just a clip show so to get you caught up for before the finale. It's just... Yeah. But it's good. I highly suggest it to everyone. Whether or not you liked Stargate the movie, Stargate SG-1 is the goat. <laughs> and then I also like the cast. I think it's, like, a really decent mm-hmm. cast. Didn't know... Because, like, I don't have, like, the hots for blonde guys. So seeing James Spader in this film, I was like, wow, he's pretty hot. <laughs> I just picture you in your, like, super dry voice sitting in front of your TV being like, whoa, it's pretty hot. <laughs> <laughs> well, because, like... For me, I really, like, for some odd reason, I'm really into, like, very nerdy, but also, like, very um, probably low in zinc and iron type of people. You look a little malnourished. (laughs) Damn. Yeah, you look a little anemic. (laughs) I like you. (laughs) What is this, vampire blood? You know, I, th- I think he, he had a really great look. And it's <laughs> funny because this look. was kind mm, of like... Baby. <laughs> yeah. It was <laughs> <laughs> but it was kind of like, I think like a few years before he... Well, I would say like 10 years before he 
like his metabolism yeah yeah down. he was still at his like and thinnest he, and hottest yeah so <laughs> so yeah i mean i would still recommend this film i i would say like maybe have low expectations of the story and like the special effects but <laughs> yeah if you love 1990s james spader and or the tv series you should definitely watch it if you're just like should i watch stargate i have no desire to fangirl over james spader or watch the tv series maybe <laughs> give it a skip yeah maybe maybe go to this like legal video yeah go to this super in... legal video on youtube that i totally <laughs> paid for and watch it also, I own yes, it on that. on DVD, but I don't own a DVD player. So I just consider this watching it on the internet as like I'm, it's just basically the same as me just watching the DVD that I already own and yeah, I exactly. bought it at a garage sale. Exactly. Yeah, you already <laughs> yeah, paid your that dues. fifty cents. You're just like is gone now. <laughs> yeah, I would give it. A six out of ten. That's fair. That's yeah. generous. I feel like Rotten mm-hmm. Tomatoes gave it like a five point two out of ten or something. So probably. <laughs> that is it for this episode. Um, you can follow the podcast on Instagram at j a n d m underscore podcast. Uh, if you like the episode, please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. Uh, Colleen, do you have any any things to plug? Not really. Yeah. Or just, like, any last, like... Any, any last, last words. words before. <laughs> uh, watch Stargate SG-1, y'all. That's my... Someday they're going to reboot that series, and by that time, I will be a successful television writer, and then I will get to work on it. Slash, if anybody wants someone who will reboot the Stargate series for so cheap, I'm available. So cheap, you guys. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you again, Colleen, for participating. Yeah, thanks for having me. I know it's late. See you or like, hear you guys or experience your auras later. <laughs> yes, I will. I will feel. I will feel your auras, and then you're just like eyes on your iPad or iPod or iPod. <laughs> what if anybody still buys iPods? I mean, there was, like, a resurgence, I think, like, back in, like, 2018 or 2015, where iPods were, like, really in for, like, a hot second, and then people realized that, oh, they could just keep You could just use my phone for that. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) All right. Okay. Well, see ya. Bye. Bye. (laughs)